This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, The Martian Chronicles, Part 3. Secret. There is no secret. Anyone with eyes can see the way to live. How? By watching life, observing nature, and cooperating with it. Making common cause with the process of existence. How? By living life for itself, don't you see? Deriving pleasure from the gift of pure being. The gift of pure being. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that isn't sure who's a ghost. I'm Luke, <laughs> here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Here's what's real. Enjoy pleasure from the gift of pure being. Oh, Isn't that's that a nice? good. That's very. I I'm living by that motto these days. Are you? I think so. I will say uh, maybe the weakest episode, but you know oh, what? Yeah. The, it's it's the thing it's trying to tell you at the end is probably something we all need to learn. I agree. It does have the um sort of trilogy problem with the third part being the weakest. I think I think we knew that going in, but it definitely was. <laughs> well, before we begin, Jordan, I know mm. you've been busy, so I put together two segments for you this week. Oh, really? Just to, just to cheer you up. <laughs> <laughs> I need cheering up too. Yeah, I don't know. You, I assume you always need cheering up. Yeah, sometimes we all do sometimes because we're not enjoying the pure pleasure from the gift of pure being. It's true. Our, Jordan, have you been enjoying the pure pleasure from the gift of pure being? Absolutely not. You're alive. You're living. You're not enjoying it. I tried. I took a um. Uh, <laughs> oh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. A bath. <laughs> I took a bath. That's right. I took a bath. It was lovely. <laughs> Well, this will this will cheer you up. This will give you some pure being pleasure. Yep. I've got uh, a little thing. I was looking into like a little bit about Martian Chronicles before we wrap it all up because I'm like mm-hmm. I got to come up with some more facts or something about this show that I I need to talk about for five hours a day, mm-hmm. um, five hours a day just today. Uh, and here it is, Jordan. There was merchandise produced for this series. Was there really? Not a lot. I'm going to tell you there's not a lot. One thing was, and I'm actually more surprised there, this hasn't been re-released, but the soundtrack was finally released in no, in uh, on, only on CD in the year 2002. <laughs> you know what's funny? Um, I don't know if you've paid attention too much to the score and the music of this. It's good. For, for whatever reason, this third episode, it really comes out, doesn't it? I actually, I noticed it in the previous episodes, so I'm like... So you, these are all like motifs they have that I've been heard yeah. before in the other episodes. I actually really kind of like the score to this, so I was more surprised than anything that it only was released in like on CD one time in two thousand two. Mm. Can I get it on vinyl? That I thought I thought for sure you'd be able to. And they never released it at the time. Hmm. I guess because it was such a flop. But right. <laughs> um, interesting though, the the person who uh, was the composer, a man named Stanley Myers, mm-hmm. he also did the score to uh, the Deer Hunter. Oh. Weird. And that wouldn't have been too much earlier because Deer Hunter was, what, 70, about 79, maybe? Yeah, I think just, just previous to this. He also, did, he also did the score to a little movie I enjoy called uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead. Mm, yeah, I know that. I read the play. You read the play the way yeah. it was meant to be seen. I know, I know. Isn't it funny when you read a play and I'm like, this is not how this was intended? <laughs> but the big news, the truly big news about merchandise around Martian Chronicles 
is there were three action figures created for. <laughs> oh, I love it. This this is the best thing ever. So oh, can I guess who the action figures were? You can absolutely guess. Okay. You got um, uh, what's a Rock Hudson's character? His uh, Wilder? Mm-hmm. Okay. says one for one? No, yeah. I'm not telling you to. You're done. Okay. Guessing. It's going to be Wilder, and it's going to be Spender, and I think the third character is um, – I'm going to go out on a limb and say – cowboy variant of sam park hill i think there's there's two toys and one there's one cowboy variant i would say that you are currently zero for three they made three martians what i'll show them to you we're not in the same room so you'll have to watch over my phone but there's one martian yeah that's not bad looking oh with clothing next martian oh yeah okay the mask from the yeah that was a good mask and finally one more martian what what is that looks like a clown it is um the it's three it's three martians are all wearing masks um and they are wearing three separate masks one is the mask of conflict that yeah. was the one that you said looked like a clown yeah there's the v mask from the uh, martian that showed up to talk to old sam park that's my favorite mask for the record favorite mask and the final mask is the mask spender war at the end of episode oh, one. Oh yeah yeah i forgot about that mask that was more like a almost like a more like a hood yeah, yeah. So uh, some toy company just took a, took a swing. Apparently, they're like vaguely knockoffs of a kind of Star Trek toy that was out at the time, mm. uh, like a similar size and like like scale and like clothing design. But like, it is just very funny. They're just like just figures with different masks on them. It is also it's also weird though that uh, this couldn't less be for children. You know, this is not fun at all. Uh, my assumption is, and I'm sure, I'm sure someone who knows more about these things will tell me. I mean, I, uh, but I, my assumption is they're just like, hey, Star Trek is, re- or not Star Trek, Star Wars is really popular. They're selling a million toys. Maybe we can jam a couple of toys out of this bad boy. Right. Yeah. Right. I, honestly, though, th- wouldn't you want two different uh, uh, Sam Parkhill toys? One in an astronaut outfit and one as cowboy. I mean, I would have loved a Rock Hudson toy. That's a great idea. <laughs> But sadly, I think they were probably very unpopular. So uh, no more toys. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) All right. Well, now that you're cheered up by that, time for segment two. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. What's the second segment? We're gonna we're gonna do a game. Okay. We're gonna do we're gonna play that classic old game that I keep coming back to, Echo. Oh yeah. This this time I've got it. If you haven't listened, it's uh, similar to an EGOT, which is yeah. So it's Emmy, uh, any Canadian film. Right. You got your Oscar. Hold on. E uh, and what do you call it? Echo. Oh, is it? You don't know how to spell Echo. I know there's an H, but what the heck's H? <laughs> it's it's the Hugo. It's a Hugo. Oh, Award. Hugo Awards. Yeah, yeah, the Hugo Awards. Excuse yes, me. Yes, yes. One one of these times I'm gonna remember. And this is obviously very similar to the uh, the EGOT, which is a famous mm-hmm. thing that actors can get. Can you can you name the EGOTs this time? Uh, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. Yeah, you did it. Yeah. You get better and better at this. this. The game is just having Jordan guess what the awards are. <laughs> that's sad if that's me being better at it. Um, this time, I've only really looked at... There's only there's really only three people worth looking at for this category. So we're talking of the creative team, director Michael Anderson, mm-hmm. writer Richard Matheson, and star Rock Hudson. So those are the three I really looked at for these, okay. aw- these award categories. And uh, we'll start with Emmys, Jordan. How many Emmys do you think this won? You know, I'll be honest. I'd be surprised if this won any Emmys. I'm gonna not say the zero. show, but like of these three. Oh, of these three people. Yes. Oh, um, well, I'll, I'll give you that. Michael Anderson, a uh, man who directed Logan's Run and Around the World in 80 Days, his most famous titles. Mm-hmm. Richard Matheson, writer. 
and uh, Rock Hudson Star. I think it's pretty good pedigree. I'm going to say two. Two Emmys. Uh, there were zero Emmys. Zero. Um, all right. How many Canadian, uh, any Canadian Screen Award? No, zero. A one. Oh, well, really? What was that for? Director Michael Anderson won the Director's Guilds of Canada Lifetime Achievement Award in 2012. Oh. Is he Canadian? Uh, I believe late in his life he moved to Vancouver. Ugh. Ugh. Sometimes we're the worst, aren't we? <laughs> How many Hugos do you think this trio has won? I'm going to say one. One Hugo. That is correct. Writer Richard Matheson won for the 1958 film The Incredible Shrinking Man. Wow, he was making stuff in 1958. Yeah, writing, writing movies back then. Wow. Well, good for him. Do you, do you ever see that one? I've never seen it. Yeah. Have you? No. Why'd you bring it up? Oh, I was just curious. <laughs> I thought maybe you saw it and were like, I'm going to go check it out this week. Going to spend a little time watching this incredible shrinking man. <laughs> uh, and finally, Jordan, final category. How many Oscars has this trio won? You know what's funny? I can't remember if Rock Hudson ever won an Oscar. I feel like he probably did, but I don't know what it would be for. So I'm going to say one. Uh, it is zero Oscars for this trio. So he never did win. Okay. And unfortunately, not, none of them managed to pull it off. Hmm. Those are some pretty low numbers. Yeah, there. You know what? It was not a great category, but it was a fun game because there was mm-hmm. one Canadian Screen Award. I knew you were never going to guess. <laughs> and it's and it's not even like a real one. It's a lifetime achievement for a, an American. Uh, he's British, I believe. Oh, British. Okay. I mean, he made some movies in Canada once he got here. Apparently. All right, I'll allow it. They certainly weren't the height of his career, though. Right. Here is the IMDb summary for Part Three: The Martians, with Earth destroyed in a nuclear war. Colonel Wilder finds himself alone with his family on Mars. To rebuild what he lost, Wilder has to make Mars his new home. Um, yeah, I guess that's mostly it. It's weird I mean, that's to have certainly a, the last ten minutes. Yeah, it's weird to have a synopsis where this has, like, three clear storylines, and that's like, yeah, you're right, the last ten minutes. Um, yes, more than ever, the, like, disparate storylines stand out in this episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's, like, funny— I kept mentioning in the previous two podcasts uh, to see if I could kind of remember the stories. I don't remember any of these ones. For whatever reason, I'm sure they're in the book, but I have zero memory of them. Well, we begin in November 2006. Uh, Wilder has uh, returned to post-apocalyptic Earth, and he's, as in the last episode, he's kind of said he wanted to go try to find his brother and mm-hmm. bring them back to Mars. But when he returns to Earth, we see it's, it's, it's pretty wiped out. And he lands at old Mars Mission Control where he used to work. And uh, the building's in great shape, actually, for a, for a planet that's been wiped out. It is interesting, isn't it? Because there's a couple things they don't they don't mention. Now, clearly a nuclear war has happened and pretty much all life is dead. But all the buildings are still fine. And not only that, they seem to be running power. Yeah, it's still powered. This building's still powered. So here's the question. Why not just go back to Earth? It doesn't seem like there's any um, uh, lingering... Uh, radiation or anything i i was also just like rock hudson you came back you didn't bring a radiation suit you're gonna die this is just there's just a nuclear like apocalypse here okay and let me ask you something luke so this is gonna be the beginning he kind of goes back to earth and kind of see you get a little little kind of video uh screen he watches of um the people in yeah yeah. he finds the memory bank which is what it's called on the wall the memory bank and he pushes play yeah, and he watches them sort of the nuclear attack happen. And it's not great special effects because they sort of turn blue and just disappear. It's the least gross way you could have a nuclear uh, disaster happen. Yeah, it seems like these nuclear bombs only they only affect organic material. All, all inorganic material seems unaffected by their uh, explosion. Everyone just like vanishes like they're being transported up to the Enterprise. But here's my question. 
we're going to find out because he basically is down there and, and the it's a little bit takes a little while to get there. But basically, there's nothing left on Earth. That's mm-hmm. basically the point you're going to get. But when they go back to Mars, almost everyone from Mars has left, too. Do yes. they explain why that happened? Yes. Why? Uh, in the last episode, they sent those rockets back. Everyone got on those, like, r- evacuation rockets back to Earth. Right. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot because I was just like, why is it abandoned, too? Anyways. Yeah, that was the end of the last episode was uh, while they're going around telling everyone that if right. they want to get back to Earth, now is their last chance. Right. right. And uh, it turns out most people took them up on that offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's that's what the the whole point of this whole episode is. It's sort of the um, those left behind, sort of yeah. like there's a few people that just didn't want to go or didn't get the memo. <laughs> seems to be the thing, and so it's it's the the stories of these people who are kind of still surviving on Mars. The you're missing the best story when he's on Earth watching that video of his brother be vaporized. What's that? The actor, the actor, because they're standing there and they're like the bombs are landing, and all the actors have to like pretend like they're in great pain. Yeah, but the actor playing his brother on the video screen, the when they must have shouted, "You're in pain!" His his hands are inconveniently located at his groin, so it looks like all the pain is directly located in his groin. Like he seems I didn't to be see like that. Clutching it, and I was like, "Oh no, his groin!" <laughs> that's his last thought. Oh, this nu- this nuclear explosion that's aimed just at my groin. Oh no! <laughs> it's funny. I didn't see that. I was just, just focused on how bad the special effect looked. <laughs> Anyway, yes, you're right. Back on Mars, everyone's gone, so we're going to meet a bunch of new characters. The first one we meet is a gentleman named Ben Driscoll. Did you recognize him? I have no idea who that man is. Luke, he was a star in something we saw before. What? What was it? Do you remember um, the, uh, I think it was last season, we watched a TV movie called Earthbound about uh, aliens that came to Earth and befriended a young boy. Yeah, they had the green monkey. He's Zeph. He was the dad. No, did not mm-hmm. recognize him. Another thing that I've never thought about again. They've done a weird choice, which is they made the character blonde, but the actor is clearly not blonde. And I'm not sure why, because it's it, it's just an odd choice. He just looks weird as a blonde. But anyways. He was just blonde at the time. That was his blonde period. Maybe he was just blonde. Yeah, it was his blonde period. Um, yeah, he's he's there. As we see, he's kind of walking around one of the very empty ghost yeah. town Martian cities. I am a little. I, I assumed it was First Town because it's the same set we saw last time. For it, yeah, first it seems town. like First Town. I think it's not supposed to be, but it it looks exactly. No, it, later he refers to it as New Texas City. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, great name, great name, because uh, Texas is not a city. <laughs> yeah, and what we see is um, it's sort of that that the very futuristic kind of looking town uh, we've seen before, but there's garbage everywhere. Everyone's left it in in disarray like you could say people just left and no one cares and and he's sort of um that that very uh classic sort of post-apocalyptic you know the one person walking through yeah, the yeah. Wasteland last sort of last thing. person alive and, mm-hmm. and as the last person alive he's got one big problem he's horny <laughs> now there's something funny about this this whole plot line because it's kind of cute it's kind of it's played for laughs and i think there's a deeper kind of interesting idea here about being the last person on earth and looking for companionship and looking for uh, a relation and all that but it's it goes on a little too long and i also don't i think it's of the of the points that this show has been trying to make over the three episodes i think this is the clunkiest and i think it uh i mean he flat out says he's just like he's not interested in finding other survivors he's only interested in finding female survivors to have sex with yeah so and it's just like uh, yeah i think again i think there's an interesting idea here about animal instincts and and when everything is stripped away what are we as humans like 
and what are we desire or uh, want. And I just, and I just think Jordan's it's kind of saying long. all these things. None of this is a, is is evident in this. That's part. what I mean. That's what I mean. Like for a show that seems everything is about concepts and ideas in this, it's it doesn't come across in this in this segment. So I'm sort of I'm giving it more than it's due because it's it's just played for laughs. It's like wouldn't it be hilarious if he finally finds a woman and she's sort of annoying? <laughs> well, I love it because he's just like I got to find a woman. Uh, yeah. These mannequins that I keep staring at aren't doing it for me anymore. So he's like, oh, that's right. He like winks at a mannequin at one point. So he's just like, I'm going to just call every number in the Mars phone book, which is a literal phone book, until I find a woman who picks up. Well, to be fair, what happens is he hears he's walking in this sort of like wasteland. He hears a phone ring and he misses it. And then he's walking later and another phone rings and he misses it. So he knows there's someone out there at least. So yes, then he goes through. It is funny because they have the video phone technology, but... They didn't think that maybe you wouldn't also need a phone book in the future, but he has to go through the phone book. He calls everyone, eventually gets a hold of some that's, woman who that's, is... This is this is where you're missing it. There's two what? beats here, Jordan. He tries the phone book, yeah, but he is a... Not only is he a horny man, he's a very lazy man. <laughs> in what way? He gets like a few pages in the phone book and he's like, this is too hard. I'm not going to call every phone number of the phone book. And he's just like... If I were a woman, oh, that's and right. I'm yeah. the only one left alive. Where would I go? And he's like, uh, a beauty salon. I'm just gonna call all the beauty salons. Yeah, and but you you make fun of him, but it was an effective strategy because he calls yeah, a beauty salon the, and he gets hold of a woman. The fifth beauty salon he calls has a woman at it. Also, how many beauty salons are on Mars? A lot. Apparently, more than five. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because yeah. So he has to travel, and I I don't know if you wrote it down. It's something like. 1500 kilometers or something like that he has a long long way to go yeah yes he, he gets a hold of this genevieve seltzer woman who is at this at her beauty salon and she's like ah, i'm 1500 miles away and he's just like no worries i'm horny and he jumps in one of those personal helicopters mm-hmm. that we've seen before and he just flies 1500 miles all night long to get to this lady <laughs> Yeah, and then, and this is kind of the beginning of the thing. It's it's how desperate he is, and uh, he meets the lady, and, and it, now it's going to be played for laughs because she's very, um, uh, what would you say? She's uppity. These are both she's... stereotypes of human beings. They're yes. Not, ne- neither of them is a real. They're both like despicable, awful human beings. Right. Do you think he's that despicable? I I would say he's pretty despicable. What? Why so? He has one like he is the just the stereotype of like guy who just needs to have sex with anything that moves. I, I get that, but it's but it's not like um, I think the tone and maybe it's aged poorly. I think the tone of it though is more about his desperation and and the sort of hurdles she makes him jump through for for laughs. And it's not like he he goes through it all, right? He 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 goes through the charade. I mean, here's the thing: they they he gets there, he meets her. She's happy to see another human being, but mostly because she has things that are broken, she needs fixed. And she explains that like she'd not return to Earth. Because they would not br- let her bring all of her her clothes with her, and so if she can't have all her clothes, she's staying on Mars. Yeah, the, and they and she is. I mean, I think uh, uh, the actress uh, Bernadette Peters does a pretty good job with what is I I will admit a very thin character, which is like she's just constantly looking at herself and preening, and you know, uh, yeah, doing her, her hair. Her job and... is to look at herself in the mirror, and we're supposed to think, oh, how vain. Yes. Yes. Uh, but it doesn't bother old uh, old Ben. He's just like, would you like to go on a date tonight? And we cut to the fanciest restaurant in town. He's wearing a red sequined tuxedo to this date. That's right. Oh, um, and, and let me mention one something uh, real quick. Did you see the name of the club in the town? I don't know if it's where she came out of, but did you see the uh, when he arrived to the town, the club was called 
fat cat girls. <laughs> and I, I don't maybe laugh. Um, and of course, there are no staff now at this fancy restaurant. Ben has not thought this through very much, so he's going to act as their he's going to have to act as their server, bartender, and kitchen staff. Well, he says to her, he basically, to your point, yes, he's very. He thinks I've you know I'm the last guy, you're the last woman. This math adds up, and she's basically immediately like, "Oh, that's not going to happen. You have to like wine and dine me, take me to dinner." And he's like, "Oh, oh I can do that. There's restaurants all over the place." But yes, he now realizes. That means I have to – she doesn't expect them just to have, like, to work together. He has to make her the meal. He has to serve her the meal. He has to make the drinks. He has to do all the work in service of hopefully, you know, something's going to happen later. And, I mean, this is why I think he's a uh, – this is why I think you're maybe underestimating his, like – I mean, despicability is mm-hmm. – he be, he's the bartender, so he goes and makes the drinks. And every time he makes her a drink, he pours extra booze into hers and makes sure it's extra booze. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I did forget about that. But at any but rate, it's to be all fair, like, she's not even drinking them, right? She's complaining. He makes her drink, and she keeps complaining. So yeah, she likes it sweet, and then it's too sweet, and then he like has to go in the kitchen and make stuff, and like the whole thing is just played for laughs. Like, can you believe? Can you believe women? <laughs> that's the joke of the of the episode of the story. So, see, that's the. I don't think that's the joke. Like, I understand your point. I don't think the joke is can you believe women. I think the joke is it thinks that the viewer feels the same way they're presenting things which is if you were this man and if you were in this position you would feel the same way and don't you feel bad for him that she's making him jump through hoops now maybe that's splitting hairs and it doesn't necessarily make this better in any way but i don't think the joke is anti-women i think the joke is isn't it crazy that there's another human and it's not the person you would hope to be You'd hope right, it to be right. I mean, you're right. It's not exactly anti-women, but in a show with literally no, nearly no speaking women parts, it's that is pretty hard point. not to like be like, "Oh, you guys don't feel great about women." You know what, Luke? You actually make a very good point, and uh, I think I have to pull mine back a little bit because you're right. Because the only other female character in this, for the most part, is Rock Hudson's wife, and actually, this episode, at least, she gets a few lines near the end of the episode. But yes, the female characters are few and far between, and pretty poorly written. Um, for the most part. So I, I will I will agree with you on that. I mean, it's all meant to be very silly, but it is just like, it's it's just like so dumb that it's well, like, Well, you'd agree, oh right? God. It's like, you could cut this whole sequence out. It's the clunkiest by far of everything they've tried to do because everything up to this point has been, there's a, a deeper meaning behind the story you're telling. And this one is, is just, wouldn't it be hilarious? It just played for laughs. And like, they, but the laughs are, it's like, Here's two very unlikable characters for you to spend some time with, and like, are you are you wondering if one of them will hook up with the other, despite the other's disinterest in him? Let's find out. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny. They finish their meal. She barely eats any of it because that's her character is to constantly put stuff upon him. And she's she's like, so good to have you here. I need somebody who can cook for me and like fix the appliances that break. And he's just like, well, why don't we go to bed? And she's just like, oh, you're going to try to have sex with me? She's like, no, thank you. And he really, he really, he really he pushes goes for it, it pretty hard. Yeah. And she's just like, no, uh, I, I'm not. I'm, she's like, I'm not. I just met you. I'm not just sleeping with you because you made me dinner. And he is so distraught by this news <laughs> that he might have to fix an appliance and not get sex. He gets in his personal helicopter and they say he flies 10,000 miles to yeah. get over to get it is over interesting the because you would think uh, you would think he as a character would be like well I still got a shot if that was his goal let's say his whole character is just to have sex you would think he'd say well so I could delay it a little bit you know what I mean like 
That's what's so funny about it is he's like he's so his other character trait of being so lazy is just like mm-hmm. he like he put all that effort into making dinner and he's just like she won't have sex with me. He's like I'm out of here. I, I I this is too much. I'll be alone. And and again, I think this is a, a weird timestamp of this time period as well of this like because again, I'm not saying it's it's appropriate or anything, but I think the writers and directors and uh, the people making the decisions. I think the point is you're supposed to relate to him. Like, can you believe it? He did everything he was supposed to do. Thus he should be given his reward. I, I think that's how you were supposed to receive it. And I think it's a bummer for a couple of reasons. One, it's a long sequence. It's not particularly funny. And I think it's out of sync with the rest of this show. And it's like, I think you could cut this out easily and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have affected this. You, would, you wouldn't have lost anything. It's true. No. I mean, I think it is. I, I can see the note. It's just like we need something a little lighter at some point. Mm-hmm. And this was just like, this one will be light. It'll be fun. Yeah. And we said this in the last episode, too. The part of uh, Darren McGavin's character, the cowboy. Sam Parkhill. Yeah. Like that whole sequence didn't work as well additionally. It feels more cohesive than the other one, at least because there was like, you know, it was sil- like it was a little too silly, but at least it fit into the mythology. And there was like. Mm-hmm. You know, they watch the apocalypse. There's dark moments. Like, this one, it just feels like it's out of something entirely different. Yeah, it doesn't add anything to it. And we'll say, uh, we're going to get to another uh, of these little stories later on. But they sort of try to connect them in the weirdest way, where, like, this character of Ben shows up later, but for no real reason. And I think there's some implications there that are kind of gross. Well, and we move on to the next story, then. It's it's about Peter Hathaway, his wife, and his daughter. They mm-hmm. uh, they also missed the boat on returning back to Earth on those last rockets. And yeah. since then, Peter's been pretty desperate to get his family back to Earth. And he's he's has—I don't know if he's built this or if he already had this, but he has the Pink Floyd laser show <laughs> set up in his backyard. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. And when he sees a rocket traveling above them in the atmosphere, he, like— Loads up the, I get whatever program runs the laser show, and we just get, like, colorful lasers just blasting into space trying to get the attention of this mm-hmm. rocket, basically. Yeah. And he and you get the sense right off the bat that he's um he's right on the brink of uh, desperation. Like, he seems, he seems like at any sort of stressful moment, he's going to snap. Like, he, he does not want to be on Earth, uh, on, excuse me, he doesn't want to be on Mars anymore. He wants to get out, and he's nearing the end of his rope. Yes, and you also get the sense... There's something a little bit off about that wife and daughter of his. Yes, right off the bat. And it's funny. I wasn't sure at first. I was like, is this just an odd acting choice? Because I think we mentioned it previously. Not all the actors are the strongest. Not not all of the directing is the strongest. So it's, sometimes it's hard to tell if something odd is happening in terms of the actual science fiction world or if it's just a bad performance. But, yes, yeah, something is off about the wife and daughter. They seem fairly robotic. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rock, this rocket sees their lasers. It lands, and on board is Wilder and Roddy McDowell's priest character, Father Stone, who who mm-hmm. landed on this rocket. Which great to see Roddy. Can't believe they brought him back for this. <laughs> yeah, he's he's only in it for a couple scenes. Um, and anyway, uh, Peter meets them as they land. P- actually, turns out Peter and Wilder have known each other for a while, and Wilder kind of explains to him, he's like, I have really bad news. No one's ever going back to Earth, but, like, you can come. We've got, like, some – we've got – you know, there's a few people left. We're, we've started a little colony, I guess, probably in First Town, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, and Peter's like, all right, I'm let down, but I'm happy to see you. I've been saving up all this food for our rescuers, so we're, like, actually, like, cooking you a great meal back at the house. So why don't you come back, see my wife and daughter. We'll have a great meal, and then we'll, like, head off wherever you want to go. 
Yeah. And they're like, great. And so uh, Rock Hudson there and Roddy McDowell, they come into the house and immediately they're like, something's hinky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, since Wilder knows him and his like family, he's just like, uh, they're pretty young still. Uh, they should have got a bit older than this. And I like that because when I first saw the family, I was just like, he's a lot old. Like, not that his wife's like super young, but I'm like, he seems a lot older than these other two. And then later when Rock Hudson comes, he's like, this isn't right, you guys. Yeah. Rock Hudson's character, um, Wilder, sort of knows something's up. He sort of does a little bit investigating around the property and finds that, in fact, what he suspected, it's not the wife and daughter because he finds their uh, grave markings that have been buried. And I think they're, it's like over 10 years or something like that. Like it's been quite some time because, and I think we mentioned, the first thing that tips him off is that like the daughter's 14, I think, something 14, 15, and she should be about 25. Yeah, yeah. Well, these grave markers quite clearly state that they were killed by an unknown virus that's written right on their both of their graves. I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I thought when, when you know, it, the, it eventually happens and, and uh, we have our, uh, we're buried or whatever happens. I don't think I need to have it written what I No, I like from. it. I think we should do that. I think we should yeah? put cause of death in all graves. Jordan Delick, combine accident. <laughs> Well-deserved revenge. <laughs> the other part is they both died because so this is when I think it's t- 2007. They both died in July of 2000, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second, Jordan. July think back of on the plot to this TV show. What happened in July 2000? Uh, well, I'll tell you what didn't happen. They didn't have a colony on Mars because Wilder showed up in 2001 with Spender. And that is that was the one they arrived when all the aliens were dead in 2001. Wait, does that add up then? No, so their deaths predate the colonization of Mars. Oh, weird. The show itself does not remember its own timeline, and it only has three episodes. <laughs> right. Well, maybe the person, the set deck person made a mistake. Yeah, it was just very funny. I was like, saw that. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, it's neither here nor there, because the point is uh, something is weird. Um, but, you know, this ends very quickly. Like, I thought this was going to have a larger, uh, like... Uh, break off a larger story but really what happens is he comes back in it's time for dinner it's time for dinner they're having dinner i can't remember the the older gentleman's name yeah peter he, he's like i'm gonna make a toast to my loving family who kept me sane all these years yeah and he makes this to be fair i actually i think the actor does a good job but he seems he seems very he basically is like look i i was so stressed i wouldn't have made it here i actually had thought about killing myself and if it wasn't for my wife and daughter and their support, I never would have made it. And look, we've we've made it this far and we've survived. And then he like immediately has a heart attack. Yeah, he just drops dead of a heart attack mid-speech. <laughs> yeah, and it seemed like a minor heart attack because I was like, oh, he's gonna be uh, have to recuperate or something, and and it will, you know, they'll talk to the the clearly weird mother and daughter. But it's like, no, he's dead. And and what you really get is that. He looks over to, uh, sorry, uh, Wilder looks over to the mother and daughter, or the wife and daughter, and they're just sort of, like, very robotic in the, like, well, things happened. And they have this conversation about, well, he would, sorry, I should have been, when he's dying, he says to them something to the fact of, like, don't kind of tell them what happened, they don't understand, something to that effect, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the idea, is, like, they, when they have a conversation afterward, they, they explain that, they don't understand sadness. He never programmed to under, understand sadness. He just procreated them to replace his dead family. Mm-hmm. And that's when, what's really weird about this, is when they're first suspicious, like Stone and Wilder are first suspicious, they almost say it, right? But 
it seems to me they both believe these to be Martians. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, up until this moment, do. And then we get this explanation where it's like, oh, he programmed us not to be sad. And then we see, like, a lab with a bed in it. Are these robots or are these clones? I know. It's weird because I think I don't I don't know what their decision is because I thought the same thing. I was like, I think these are androids. I think that was the point of showing his lab and showing everything that he was spending the last 10 years to create robot versions of his family, which is fine. But it's such an odd choice in a nine hour movie where we've shown that aliens can impersonate humans to a perfect degree. Yeah, it just seemed like that was the, that was what you should have done. Yeah, it's just like it was such an odd thing, and I and I don't think it's clear what what it is because the aliens seem to be better at impersonating humans or replicating human emotions, whereas they these seem much more robotic, which made me made me think these are robots. Yeah, I think they are either a robot or a clone. Like they never they never clarify, and I get I understand probably why they didn't make the Martians in the grand because they like. Part of this is going to be Wilder's Wilder's quest to meet a uh, Martian mm. has been his whole quest. So they can't have him meet a Martian suddenly in yeah. this throwaway scene. But it was weird. And it, it was and very I don't, weird. And I like the idea. And again, for whatever reason, this episode, it's almost like these are the like castaway ideas because they're never delved into as well as the previous episodes. Like even this, I think there's something really interesting and kind of sad and poignant about someone who – is on the brink of depression and loneliness who goes to such great means that his sadness results in him creating his family again and to the point where he's convinced himself that they're real. There's there's a really uh, interesting idea there, but they kind of just skirt over it at the end and be like, isn't it weird he's got a robot wife and kid? Anyways. Well, speaking of that, like that's kind of – all the ideas here are like barely justified and so kind of feel feel like they come out randomly because as they're after this happens wilder and stone bury peter and wilder's like well i guess we take his robot wife and kids back with us because we can't leave them here in the middle Mm -hmm. of the desert and father stone says nah we gotta leave them here he's like uh their well-being isn't our concern they uh, they were made to live here by their creator so we should just leave them here and i'm just like the fuck are you talking yeah, about? That was weird, right? I thought the same thing, and I, I, I remember I stopped at actually that point. I was thinking, and I, and I still don't know where I land on this, but like, does that make sense with his character as we've seen before? Because I know that he was a little bit harsher than the other, uh, the other uh, priest, and he was a little bit more mission centric and a lot more job centric in what he thought he was supposed to be doing. But does that work with this, or am I? I don't know. I think what it is, it's not a character-based. What they're trying to do is propose what is maybe an interesting thought experiment, but doing it in the last 30 seconds of an episode. The idea of just, like, he's sort of saying, like, their god was the one who created them, and he is now mm-hmm. dead. What right do we have to adjust their creator's plan for them? Like, that's that's the concept behind this, the line. But it makes no sense in the context of everything we've seen. Like, it's just like, I'm like, well, we're not like, you guys, what are you just, like, you're just leaving two people to die in the f- desert. We're not talking about the grander philosophical, spiritual nature of creation and what mm-hmm. a creator's intent for his creations are. This is about uh, these weird robots who live in the desert. Yeah. And and it is weird because they're basically, because Wilder's just like, yeah, it makes sense to me. And they leave and we kind of get a shot. Um, I don't know if it's now or later, but we sort of see them just continuing their existence in this weird like the wife is knitting and the daughter is making dinner but they're not making it for anyone because they don't have yeah 
well they're their just their like, life what do have we any do? Now. they're like i don't know we just keep doing what we always do i guess like like the what else are we supposed to do right like they feel yeah. like they don't like they don't it doesn't bother them but they also are just like it's weird eh? we're just gonna keep doing this and nobody else is here i guess so yeah they're they're never uh the implication is they're never going to evolve they're not going to gain a greater sentience or understanding of themselves they're just going they they're just robots to do one thing and that's just what they're going to do so there's i don't know again i think you made the point there's just they throw this in the last kind of 30 seconds of the scene and go hey anyways uh interesting right And it's like i think there's kind of a cool idea you could have maybe delved into more instead of watching uh old rock hudson walk around the rocks for 10 minutes looking at stuff yeah and i mean it ends with one final twist when there's a knock at the uh, the yes. android wife and daughter's door and who should step in but horny old ben driscoll <laughs> So here was the comment I made earlier. There's maybe some gross implications. So he comes in, and to be fair, he's being very nice. He's like, hey, I don't want to impose. I've been traveling a long time, uh, and I saw a light or whatever it is, and I like to come yeah, in. He, like, he's yeah, looking of course. for a place to stay, he says, yeah. with a family feeling. Yeah, but he's going to be having sex with that uh, the mother, right? Well, here's the thing. is He steps in, and he sort of says this thing, and truly, the score just be, like the score becomes porno yes. music. I know. And like we're just left to be like, I was just like, okay, I guess he's fucking all these robots. Well, good thing Ben Driscoll got this ending. Yeah, it w- it was weird. And I, I, I think the music, maybe that wasn't the intention they're making, but because it's become such a... Um, Even in uh, 1980, you knew, like, I mean... Do you think it, so? I'm not saying the composer did it on purpose, but I'm saying, like, it would be hard, I think, to, like, that, like, it's, it doesn't sound like any of the other music in the episode, and it has a real, like, it has a real horny vibe to it. Yeah, I, and I agree. I think that was this for whatever reason. Uh, maybe we feel different. This bothered me more than the actual sequence with Ben and the other woman because that seemed like kind of like a a silly uh, French comedy where this was just like, oh, so I guess he's just gonna be with these robots. It's really it's a, it does feel really awful because it's just like all we know about him is like that one thing he wants. Yeah. And yeah. he just walked into a room with two robots with, like, not enough ability to understand what's happening. You're like, ugh, Ben Driscoll's yeah. going to do something and gross is, here. I know, I know we have the third part of this, which I will argue is the best of this episode. Yeah, I mean, um, it is. <laughs> but isn't it crazy that after so much time spending on this little miniseries, this is how they're ending it? Like, these are clearly the weakest ideas. And it feels almost like they're written by a different person. It feels like these were scraps they just threw together yeah. to like somehow make it. It is crazy. It is crazy to think like the of the two episodes that preceded it, and this is the climax. It's it's bizarre, and it's just like because again, we're we're now going to get into the third sequence, which has the loftier ideas about humanity and colonialization and our responsibilities of a species uh, with our planet. These are all the ideas that work well in this show and i think have been executed well but up to this point it's just like it's bad and, and so what you end up focusing on is i know uh phil last episode kind of kept mentioning the bad special effects and stuff for me it never really bothered me till this episode because there's there's nothing else in this episode so you, yeah, you watch it, the bad special so effects there's no good episode, ideas it's hard not to focus yeah. on some of that stuff yes we jump forward now to march 2007 uh, Wilder goes to visit his old friend Sam Parkhill at his insane diner. <laughs> yeah, um, he's still there. My favorite part is he walks in, and you know Parkhill's happy to see him. And I guess I guess they only had enough money to hire that wife for one day. So Parkhill quickly explains, like, "Oh yeah, my wife. After she saw the nuclear dest- destruction of Earth, she just went to bed and has never gotten out again. And it's been like I'm just like it's been months. She hasn't got out of bed in months. 
Um, Jordan, I actually think Sam Parkhill accidentally shot her and buried her in the backyard. It's it's more likely. It's more. I, likely. I think that is. I think much like that alien, I think later Sam Parkhill shot and buried his wife. Yeah, she went to go uh, grab a fork, and he thought she was getting a gun, so he shot her. <laughs> At any rate, uh, Park Samhill finally tells Wilder the story about the time the aliens came in their sand ships and uh, gave him a deed to half of Mars. And then he also admits that he killed the alien. And Wilder's like, you killed him? And he's just like, yeah, one. I killed one. Uh, he says one. He definitely killed more than one. He killed more than more than one on those uh, little boats, sand boats. I mean, and this is just where – this is just a kickoff, basically, the last of Wilder's stories. He is excited to hear that uh, aliens potentially are on Earth. He's excited to hear that they've – they kind of – because Sam, Sam Parker does tell him. He's like – and they seem to know about the impending destruction of Earth. So this tells – Wilder is like, oh, so they knew this was coming, and by offering us this deed, he feels like what this offer is, this is Wilder's interpretation, I guess, is that they're offering us the opportunity to rebuild here on Mars yeah. with them in some fashion, and that he is, his hope of one day meeting a Martian and talking to them could come true. Yes. He feels a very different way, whereas, and again, they don't really lean into this too much, but Sam's character got the deed, and what he th- saw was dollars. Yes. And... I can't remember, Wilder's character, he sees it and just sees the opportunity to possibly rebuild what was lost. Yeah, and make amends, those kind of things, Mm -hmm. these loftier ideas. And an excited Wilder then returns to those ruins where he killed Spender all those years ago on on Mars. Oh, and I should say, this episode has so many flashbacks. And I know why they did it, but I don't think it was necessary at all. Like, it just, it seemed like filler. And I was like, guys, it's already an hour and a half. Like, this would again this of all the episodes this one felt for a show that was already could at worst be plotting it really dragged in some parts where it's just like here oh yeah he's remembering this thing it's like yeah we know we know he was there they were really worried about the audience who's only tuning into episode three yeah exactly but he Um, sort of goes through and he's like uh he's i think being a little bit wistful or yeah sad about what had happened and then while he's there an alien like we've seen before with the like no ears round head sort of materializes in a very yeah, yeah. He, like uncloaks fashion. like a bird of prey or something yeah <laughs> yeah that's right um but yeah this, this martian shows up and it's kind of fun. it's like it's not it's maybe the best sequence of the episode but he shows up he he's speaking a different language he's speaking some martian language and wilder's like i don't, I don't know what you're saying and it's kind of great the martian just holds his hand up in front of uh wilder's face and he's like all right i got it english we're good yeah and i, I like that it was just like done now they can do it. and so they sort of have Again, what is stronger than what we've seen before, which is it gets into a, a slightly like a philosophical kind of discussion. But really what it is, is you get the sense right off the bat that this alien is not a lo- is no longer alive. Well, because it's it's my favorite part of the sequence, because what happens is Wilder, after he starts speaking English, Wilder like waves his arm at the alien and it passes right through the Martian. Like mm-hmm. it's like he's a ghost. And Wilder says, "Ah, oh, you're a ghost. And then the Martian waves his arm directly through Wilder, and the Martian says, Gods, you're a ghost. And they're yeah. just like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're the ghost. No, you're the ghost. And they, kept, yeah. they argue about who's the ghost for a while, and it made me laugh so hard. And what you get is that they're sort of existing in two different times, in two different planes. Yeah, uh, that's, whatever those that's may what be. they determine. Yeah, and so the alien, because at one point the, the Martian looks out and goes, you must be the ghost. Like, can you not see this sprawling metropolis that we have here? And, uh, and Wilder's like, it's just ruins. There's nothing left here. And and they sort of are like, well, we'll just agree to disagree. Yeah, Anyways. They spend a brief time arguing about who's from the future. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm from the future. No, I'm the one in the future. So then they have this sort of, you know, conversation, which we, we've 
uh, we sort wait, of wait, alluded hold on, to. Jordan. Sorry. Do you want? Do you know? Do you want to talk about when the alien asks what year it is? Oh yeah, that's right. He says what year is it, and and Wilder says two thousand seven or so, whatever it is, right? And yeah, then and he then goes, the alien says that means nothing to me. And I was just like, why did you ask? You knew he was not going to answer with anything that meant anything to you. And then he gives he gives like some crazy number. He's like, he's like, why are you telling me the year? For me, it's six two five six whatever. I'll tell you. You want to know the year was, Jordan? Yeah, yeah. What was it? It was four four six two eight five three SCC. <laughs> It was yep. wild. It's so funny. Moments of this part were so funny to me because they're just like arguing about like the dumbest things to argue about. <laughs> I know. It's the idea that Wilder has been spending all, you know, his whole life just wanting to have a conversation with a Martian. And he meets a Martian that he just argues with them. You're a ghost. No, I'm from the future. No, you're you're the ghost. <laughs> right. But this is where we get the line I mentioned from the beginning. This idea of Martian philosophy or the Martian way of life, which is sort of like focusing on the now and enjoying the moment and yeah, being, it's like being present is the whole concept yes. of the of the of the thing that wilder needs to learn you just have to be present like you can't like you can want and do things and all this stuff but like unless you're present and one with like kind of where you are in the world you live in like it's it's all for naught mm-hmm. now i don't know why it took this conversation for wilder to sort of like get it because you think he could have come to these conclusions on his own from his no time no in someone Mars. had to tell him man it's all about the chill vibes <laughs> i guess i guess but yes this is basically this is what it is they, they have this conversation it reminds him of the martian way of life and just being chill and he uh basically <laughs> just being chill just being chill and 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 wilder finally like accepts it's so funny they spent so much time arguing and the argument is like how much wilder wants to meet an alien or a martian it's like dude you're just doing it right now like i'm sorry it's mm-hmm. not in the same like scope of reality but you're literally doing it and the martian kind of gives him this advice and they they part ways to go about their own business and and wilder returns back home to, to visit his family um it's a great cutaway they cut back to his house and his kids are just like laying on the couch like staring at things at screens and they're like we're bored mom yeah and I, i'm gonna say coming up is my favorite part of this episode because it's so funny but but yes he he has the conversation with the martian martian essentially eventually fades away and he goes back home like real jazzed up. Yeah, he's yeah. basically like he's like someone you met in like college when they I don't know they read Kierkegaard for the first time or something. He's just like I I got it I figured it all out. And um, his wife is very patient with him. She yes. she's just like pack a bag, tell the kids to pack a bag. We're moving out of this house right now and we're gonna go live in the wilderness. This is my favorite part. He just <laughs> it's it's not like hey guys you know what would be great is to. I'm going to explain things to you and I see things different and I want you to appreciate this planet in a different way. And that's how I'm going to raise you. And, and to, to be able to properly implement that, we need to move and be one with the planet, blah, blah. He's just like, we're moving, pack the, pack the bags. And his wife's like, okay. And he's just like, and and the kids are like, should should we, like, we're ever going to come back? He's like, nope, you're never coming back. (laughs) It's just, just, well, they, they all get on a boat and start going down a canal. And like, one of the kids is like, where are we going, dad? He's like, Four million years in the past, and they're like, and they all just look at him like he's lost his mind. This is great. This whole sequence. So it takes. Uh, we're gonna go through it fast, but it goes takes forever. You you it, like essentially in real time. You watch this boat ride, and every time the kids ask him a question, question, he gives back this weird, cryptic, esoteric response. They're like, "Where are we going?" He's like, "Going is time." They're like, but like, is there a place? He's like, "Places in your existence," and he just like keeps giving these like non-answers i'd be like dad shut up but like we're where are we actually going somewhere it is very funny like every time he answers they give him a weird look and my favorite part is at the end of the sequence as they're all like like what a weird dad he reaches <laughs> forward and pats his son's head and the actor's response is like he's never been touched by this man before he's like oh no <laughs> yeah, the kids are not great 
Um, but what it is is like Wilder finally is like, hey, kids, you just tell us where you want to stop and we're going to stop and camp there. They pick this Martian runes on the side of the river. They get off. They set up tents. Wilder starts like burning old paperwork and stuff and like burning old books. And they're like, and I'll just say to know how long this sequence drags on for. He asks the kids, should they land at least four different times? He's like, should we land here? And the kid's like, I don't know. And he's like, what over here? Yeah, I don't know. What do you think, daughter? Maybe over here. What about you, son? Mm, we need to agree. I'm like, why is this in this movie? Why are we watching them decide where to land for 10 minutes? It's it's a long sequence for sure. Um, but the idea is he's burning all this stuff. And the kids are like, why are you doing that? He's like, listen, we're giving up on Earth, the Earth way of life. Mm-hmm. Like, it's we're, we're on Mars. We're going to, like, learn a new way of life. Like, we're going to move here. And we're going to, like, learn the Martian ways and mer- learn the Martian language. And it's very funny. His wife is very, like, even-handed. But mm-hmm. at this point, she's like, hey, honey. FYI, we're not moving here. We're going back to the house after this. We can definitely do all the things you're talking about, but we're 100% not moving here today. Yeah, yeah, because the, the kids are like, when are we moving? He's like, right now, we just did. That's it, we've moved. It's like, no, 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 you haven't moved. Like, calm down. Yeah. But yes, yeah, she's very, like, calm and measured for someone who's, to be fair, a lovely philosophy, but also acting like a crazy person. Yeah, yeah. It was very, I like I like this This character finally got this moment where she's just like, listen, honey, uh, shut up. You've lost your mind. We're going yeah. back to the house after this. And he's just like, all right, you're probably right. Yeah. I like to think, we never see it. I like to think, though, that he just goes back home and he, does, he forgets everything he, he wanted. He's just like, yeah, this is much better. We have pillows here. Um, and it kind of climaxes like he... He, he's been promising the kids this trip is on this trip. They're going to meet Martians. They're going to see Martians finally. And the kids are like, Daddy, show us the Martians. And he's like, come with me. And he like leads them to the edge of the water. And they look down and see their own reflections. And they're mm-hmm. like, we were the Martians all along. How disappointing would that have been if you were the kid? I mean, he makes up for it because he, he says that they're looking at themselves. And he's like, oh, hold on one second. I forgot some of you guys. He reaches into his jacket pocket pulls out a detonator, pushes it, and a rocket ship explodes in a titanic blast for some reason. <laughs> and the kids are just, like, staring at it confused and scared. And he's just like, well, that's enough of that. And he puts well, it back and I it's think, over. I think the point of that, and maybe you, you disagree, I think the point was it, it was a it was a punctuation mark on his point, which is I'm blowing up our rocket to Earth, so there's no way we're ever getting back. That I mean, that is 100% the thing. He's like, he's he's closing the book. The Earth ways of life are gone. They are now Martians. It's just handled in the, fu- like, it made me laugh yeah. so hard. It's like this really tender moment. That's like very cheesy, very cliche, but it's like they look at themselves like, we're the Martians. We're now mm-hmm. the Martians. And you're supposed to be like, I see. Earth has now, is dead. It's now time for us to become something new. Mm-hmm. And then he just, and then it's just like he reaches in his pocket and there's just like this massive, like, giant explosion. Like, they spent so much money and like, they like it looks great the miniature explodes there's so much flames there's so much everything but it's so out of tone for the moment we just yeah. saw yeah anyway and then that's the end of the episode they're just like and that's the martian chronicles yeah, everybody it, it was weird wasn't it because he, he, everything's so contemplative and and uh and quiet and then they go explosion and we're done you're like yeah oh, it was like oh, michael okay. bay came on for the last 30 seconds <laughs> and that's it and it, i'll say a, a kind of disappointing episode and a show that i was really forgiving a lot of the problems how slow it was and how kind of some of the acting wasn't good and the special effects because i thought the ideas were so strong and they were articulated in such a uh, nuanced way but man this episode really whiffed i mean it really ran out of steam at the end and like i don't have a problem like i think wilder's climax this concept of being present and just being in the moment and like not like these things being the thing that we need to learn as a species or whatever honestly i think this is fine like i think that's a fine Mm -hmm. concept it just presented in the most like 
wishy-washy new age yeah. way of the 80s would present that kind of thing so it has no it has no impact in a lot of ways mm-hmm. so it's just like i'm like i'm like it's a good it's a good moral i guess but like to the whole show i guess but like to have it like packed at the end of this like episode that ha- like they have nothing like it's just like we've run out of gas and we have another hour and a half <laughs> And and that was it. So it's it's kind of a sad like little wilting ending to a uh, which I think is a pretty decent trilogy or miniseries, whatever you want to call it. Miniseries, I guess, makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. It just it is baffling. It just doesn't feel like it's a part of a whole. Like it feels like this feels more like they're like months later they're like, oh, we need one more, and they're like, oh shit, uh, we kind of ended it. It's funny. I think we had talked about it previously. We were talking about the length and uh, the sort of little bit of fat that this has on it. This episode could almost be cut down to like 20 minutes there's like a 20 minutes worth of good content and if you had snipped all the other ones again this could have been a two-night event like mm-hmm. you know what i mean like probably 120 minutes you have like a really good 120 minutes and what they have is almost 200 yeah it's it's certainly too long i mean this this episode i was very, i'm very forgiving the last episodes for sure but this episode is just like you're like you guys i, I just added it to two nights you could have yeah. done it easily <laughs> So no, no, we're almost at the the rating part. Uh, should we rate this as an episode and then overall, or do we just see what our score is? No, no. Well, I, I think we do it as an episode, okay. and then I'll find out the average for you on the Continuum Drive computer. Okay. And then you can dispute how you feel about that. Okay. Well, I'm curious actually, dear. What would you give this episode? I mean, it's a bad. It's it's a bad episode. Like it truly is just like bafflingly yeah. bad after the last two, which you know aren't like great to begin with, but like considerably better by comparison mm-hmm. it's it's like a twilight zone of wandering into this different show um but you know what like i also like i'm still like it's still got those elements of that world that i had enjoyed living in. like some of those mm-hmm. pieces are still like on the fringes it's just like it's just baffling choices for like the last three stories basically mm-hmm. um i think i'm gonna go i think i'm just gonna go with a four mm. i'm very close to where you are i'm gonna give it a five I was almost going to give it a six, but it was just like, there's just not enough in this, you know. I thought about giving it a higher score too, but I, I just realized it has more to do with how much I enjoyed the other two. Mm-hmm. And just like, I, you know, I, this episode, like, I still had an okay time because I was in the lingering afterglow of the other ones. But I will say the things I liked about this episode are just like the things that are dumb and weren't meant to be funny. And like, I'm a ghost. You're a ghost. I've got a laser show. I shoot at rockets. Like. And those are just there because they're so bad, they're kind of funny. Yeah. And we should mention the green screen work for um, the two aliens, uh, uh, Wilder and the alien touching each other, was the worst special effects we've had so far in the three episodes. I mean, yeah, uh, typically weak of the time. I, it, didn't bo- it didn't upset me as much as I as I know our last guest really disliked it. I was just mm-hmm. like indifferent to it for the most part. I'm like, all right, that sucks, but whatever. The actual content was worse. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the worst part. I was, I'm like, I was grateful for it after having to watch the previous two stories. Yeah. All right, I'm going to chuck this into the computer. I think we're going to be like a... Probably around a six something, six and a half. Here is the final series average, I guess mini series average for mm-hmm. Martian Chronicles, according to us. It's a 6.17. Yeah. I think that's probably probably fair. You know, you could probably very you could probably, inc- you could probably push it up a little bit, but this last episode was pretty weak. Yeah, this first episode, this last episode really like I think fairly undercuts this as being a bad idea. Yeah, no, let me ask you. Uh, knowing what we have just watched, you know, 9 hours 
No, not nine hours. We've watched five and a half hours. How long? How long is this thing? Four and a half. Four and a half. Oh, my math. Um, four and a half hours of this. Would you recommend this to someone? Yeah, I'd say. If, I think. I think if you were, if you like this period of like science fiction, you'll get like some of the fun world building of that and like there's some fun stuff i mean i think you should i wouldn't i would say you should know what you're getting into when you go into it but i think if you go with the right the right attitude you'll have a nice time i think if you liked something like uh that we watched previously like the lathe of heaven it's similar in kind of sort of like tone and special effects quality and that sort of thing and it's that that vein of science fiction if you like that sort of thing you you probably like this yeah it's a it's 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 a worse executed lathe of heaven yeah i'd agree more money, clearly, but somehow worsely executed. Well, because they, they uh, weren't as creative with the budgetary restraints. This was just like, well, we don't have the money, so it just doesn't look good. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that wraps up for the Martian Chronicles. What a treat. What a treat. I enjoyed watching these. I, I really liked the last few weeks. No, no, it was. I, I had a very nice time. This was, uh, of the things we've watched in the last little bit, I was like, oh, what a treat this was. Mm-hmm. Um, and listener, if you have any thoughts or things you want to let us know, you can email us at continuandrag at gmail.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, you'll find some clips from these episodes. Uh, a rocket ship blowing up, arguing about who's a ghost. Yeah. Uh, you, you can find that uh, at Continuum Drag as our handle on those platforms. Um, and that wraps it up. So, uh, mm-hmm. listener, thank you so much for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.